Lodge Podcast. With your host, Hodgy the Hack. Hello there and a very warm welcome to the Hodge on Nodge podcast and today I am joined by two absolute stalwarts of the Norwich City Twitter community and who can give us a very, very good appreciation because that's what I want this to be. I want this to be an appreciation of everything that Amy Buendia did for Norwich City. So a very warm welcome along to anyone who's watching us on all the major streaming platforms. Please make yourselves known in the chat, get some questions in for these guys and say hello and let's get the chatter going and make a multimedia, multifaceted discussion. So anyway, without further ado, joining me, I have, first off, just below me, I'm learning where to point on this thing, we've got Adam Brandon, South American football expert, and how much enemy Buendia fan would you see you are, Adam? Uh, 10 out of 10, Emmy Wendy fan, maybe. Um, is, is that still yeah, the case? Uh, yeah, although I think, uh, I think probably my uh, my love for him will slightly cool now that he's not in yellow and green anymore. Um, yeah. but no, I, I, I think I, I think I always kind of keep an eye on his career, like probably most Norwich fans know he's given us so much, and um. It. You've got to be grateful. And I, I think I said this to somebody the other day. It's like who was a bit more bitter about it than perhaps I was. It's like you've got to look at it like from where the club was when he joined to where we are now. There's un, you know, there's been massive progress, and he has been an integral part of that, which I'm sure we get into in this show today. Yeah, that's it. And. I'm learning where to point this time. At my left here in the top left corner. Yeah, if you point, you've got to go the other way. This is this is a thing that I'm learning through doing YouTube, Steve. Steve mm. Sanders, the man behind the NCFC Numbers Twitter account, which enjoyed an explosion when we went up in 1819 and have the numbers grown steadily this year, Steve. Uh yeah, I mean it helps it helps when we're winning. It's it's kind of been useful in that we've either since I started, we've either been really good or really bad. Which goes well when you're talking about, you know, breaking records and stuff. So, um, and like, obviously, Emmy's, it, we're, we're big on Emmy tonight. And Emmy's, Emmy's been a godsend for stats because he's just, the creativity is through the roof. So, that's, that's a reason he mourned his departure for you, other than the fact that he's obviously football heaven. Oh, yeah, you're not going to have your stats oh, yeah. gold mine anymore. Uh, it's all about the numbers. No, no. I, in all seriousness, probably, probably the most gutted. I've, I'm, I'm not sure I'm over it yet. It's probably the most gutted I've ever been about a player departure. I can't think of any one. Dean Ashton maybe comes reasonably close, but um, beyond that, I can't think of it. Like even like Madders a couple of years ago, you kind of felt like, well, he's got to go. We needed to lose him. Whereas Emmy, it was kind of like I, I'd allowed myself to believe that he might stay, um, and I think that's what hurt hurt more even though I probably knew deep down he wasn't gonna um yeah I still pretty gutted you know yeah. crying myself to sleep singing the Emmy Buendia <laughs> football heaven song yeah yeah, yeah that's I, the think, thing. Um, I think it's the most disappointed I've been at a player league mm. probably since I was a child really like so you know coping with the sales of well when I was really young of like Fleck for example who was probably my first favourite Norwich player. And then after that, other favourite Norwich players like Fox and Sutton. And uh, then when, as I got a bit older and in my teens, like Bellamy and Edie were, were quite bad ones as well. I remember being quite depressed on those days when those sales went through. But yeah, it's like, as an adult, you don't feel so attached to sort of these players, I guess. But I think for me, especially, especially as... Like I cover South American football and, you know, Buendia is like our first real big sort of South American, you know, proper Norwich player. I know we've had like Becchio and uh, Gutierrez and I think there was one a few decades ago as well. But, you know, this is the one where we formed a real connection to, I love to, and like to cover South American football and to cover Norwich, he was like the perfect combination for that. So, yeah, yeah I'll... Yeah, I've always felt a bit of a special connection in that. So that, that, that was what I was going to say to you. So where did your passion? Because like one of the great things about doing this podcast, right, is I get to speak to members of the Norwich City fan community and, and obviously the journalist yourself as well, that otherwise, like, 
always if we met each other and we recognised each other, we'd be like, all oh, right, mate, sit down, have a, like, a cup of tea or a pint or whatever environment we were in. But this gives me an excuse to talk to people that I would quite like to have a discussion with. And you've been one of the people in the Norwich City Twitter sphere, mate, that I've always been like, yeah, I would really like to get to talk to him about something. But I'm really interested in your career sort of trajectory. What, what made you give up your season ticket in the Barclay to go and sort of go to the other side of the world, South America, and, and, and follow that sort of train of thought? And then how that marries into your Norwich City fandom now, how you kind of explore that. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think... Uh... I think it was quite easy to give up at the time because this was the 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 actual first season that I that I left the country was the season that we went down to League One. <laughs> so um, that made it a little bit easier to to say to wave goodbye. Um, but yeah, I think I said into a message to you the other day, Stuart, like, since then, Norwich have won, like, four promotions, I think it is now. So. <laughs> Thanks for leaving, mate. We're, we're glad you emigrated. <laughs> I've been kind of a good luck charm on that. The amount of absolute trash that I had to sit through um, for years as a season ticket holder, especially at championship level, like... yeah. I'm so sort of envious of the Norwich fans who now get to see sort of fart ball live in the stadium. Obviously, you know, nobody in the last sort of year or so or, um, for obvious reasons. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, basically, I, I just felt like I needed a new challenge in life. And um, and yeah, I, I went around the world. I didn't necessarily say to myself right i'm definitely moving to south america or i'm definitely moving here it was just like wherever i felt sort of most comfortable mm-hmm. and also kind of re- a place i really enjoyed i'd end up moving to and, and that happened to be the capital of chile santiago so yeah and i do actually know another norwich fan here as well which was uh which was quite helpful so oh, like a yeah, local I, norwich fan or so, no no he's he's actually from the same town as i was born in as well very st edmunds so yeah, oh. the, so yeah shout out to robin this, this is random um, is james skolcroft no for there or am i making that yeah up? yeah he, oh. he was born there yeah um yeah yeah but we will not we'll not mention him and um, that's behind enemy lines by the way which the latest episode is now up on the podcast players that was the one that i did on in terms of youtube on benjamin bloom's football channel so get that listen to anyone that's listening to the content please get in touch with me let me know what you think of it uh get in touch with questions stuff like that and if you're tweeting about the podcast remember the hashtag hodge on nodge because that'll make sure that it doesn't miss my envious and sort of constant scrolling through the through things. Um, a few folks saying hi in the chat. Please do make yourself known if you have joined. Uh, so, Dean Wright's come right in with here. Thoughts on Angus Gunn's possible return? Dean, we will come to that uh, before the end of the podcast because I think that's a very interesting one. But first off, I just want to pay tribute to Emmy Buendia. Now, for me, I think Emmy Buendia is the most talented footballer. Now, I say footballer in the kind of modern sense of the word, so given the football is a sport that is is about technical prowess and, and physicality and all of those kind of elements now, I think Amy Buendia is the single best footballer that has ever played for Norwich City. Now, granted, a lot of folk will point out, ah, you've supported the club for four years, mate. What do you know? Uh, but I, I'm aware of Norwich City's history, at least through my sort of living life, and I've seen plenty of them playing, plenty of players Dean Ashton was probably right up there in terms of the other players that Steve mentioned earlier uh, in terms of talent. Craig Bellamy, probably, though it was short-lived. Chris Sutton, a uh, few from that 90s team as well. And, and maybe a few from the Lambert team that you could throw in. But I don't think any of them have had the technical ability, the ability to split open a defence and basically play like a can of soup, just provide the the sort of technical aptitude to do that and I just think I I don't know the next time we'll see a player that talented to come through the gates of Carroll Road again, that's where I stand on it where does he come in the the pantheon of Norwich City players for you guys yeah go go on Steve, you first thanks mate, Um, I mean I I think I would probably, it's a difficult one because it kind of comes in two categories right? you've kind of got your your legends like uh, Grant Holt, Russell Martin, 
um, you know, John Ruddy, who have given us real longevity. And then you have the players who you've mentioned, Stu, and I would say having, I've watched this for 20 years. And for me, it would probably be in terms of ability, Ashton, Madison and Buendia in some order. Um, and the fact of the matter is at Norwich City, you get players like that come along and play the way they do. They're going to be fleeting because because we don't keep hold of players like that. We, we can't afford to keep hold of the very, very best players. Um, and that's why I think, do you know what, like as gutted as I am to lose Buendia, my God, how have we how we kept this guy for three years? I know, you know, we had we had a horrific second season, but it is still absolutely mad to me that nobody came in for him last summer. Like it, uh, the goals, people will point at the goals, and it's a it's a fair comment. But in an era where you know everybody's looking at the underlying numbers and what players are doing beyond getting goals and assists and clean sheets, and all especially that stuff, you, mate. That's that's your your bread and butter. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, and but but uh, you know. I, that that's one element of it. The other element is, you know, just just watch the guy play and the, the things that that numbers can't show you. But all the all the kind of analysis on him that you would do would show you that actually, even in that year, that's a player was a fish out of water. Basically, he was still performing on a really really high level, um, certainly for two or three months when others around him weren't doing so well. So why nobody took a punt on him, I have no idea. And to come back to your question. In terms of natural talent, it's difficult to think of anyone higher. I don't know if there's recency bias involved in that, but um, yeah, I think I would probably have him at the top. We might be, all be about to agree here. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that, that's yeah. that's my take on it. Um, you're obviously a South American football stan, Adam. Uh, even parking that sort of aspect of things, where does he come for you? Because you're a wee bit older than us, not to give in away. So you, <laughs> you, you, you've got an extra five yeah. years or so to call on. Um, in yeah. terms of what you've seen live, um, so where does he come for you? Yeah, he's he, he's number one for me. Um, it's not necessarily just the, the technical ability, and I, I I know that Steve probably can predict what's coming here because I always quote tweet his uh, his tweets um, <laughs> with my sort of standing of Wendy's uh, defensive work as much as his attacking work. Yeah, and this is, I think, the key difference between Buendia and a lot of other players currently out there, but also a lot of players in in our history, like the tenacity that he's shown in a in a Norwich shirt. His defensive numbers are incredible, mm-hmm. um, and to get that out of a you know effectively a playmaker, you know, a wide playmaker, um, is is incredible, really. Um, well, it's um, his tenacity, isn't it? Because I think that's the yeah. thing. Like, he's got a real... He wears his heart on his sleeve, right? And it, it's got him into Which trouble. Is, the temper yeah. was obviously a problem. And until sort of the latter stages of this season, I would say that's always been the one thing that you would say that's going to hold him back. But it's, like, it's, it's the usual thing that once you iron out the last kink, it's like, right, on you go, pastures new, you know? But yeah, in Argentina, I, in mm-hmm. Argentina, they're obsessed with playing with huevos, you know? Huevos, that's uh, cojones. Literally, yeah, literally translates as eggs, but you know, yeah. <laughs> basically <laughs> means you know, play, yeah, playing with your like playing with balls, yeah, <laughs> and um, and also they're obsessed with uh, the mojala la camiseta. So get your, make get your shirt wet. Get your shirt wet, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and the and Buendier is basically you know the the perfect player, perfect example. Of a player mm-hmm. who does these, you know, plays like in that in that spirit in in that way, and yeah, he's very Argentinian in that sense. I would say that, that's the thing. So that there's a culture of player over there, mate, and that's that's one of the yeah. things that I think's interesting because so an example of this cultural difference would be Maradona hand a god goal, right? Probably in Britain we have this sort of kind of holier than thou attitude in the past where it's like, well, we don't want to win by cheating, but actually we do. Whereas cheating. To, to, to gain an advantage, it, I believe that sort of culturally that's kind of actively encouraged within that sort of footballing culture. Is that is that right? Yeah, and yeah, it is. And and also, I'd I'd want to point out that one of the most interesting things about Buendia's career so far has been mm-hmm. that he moved to Spain when he was like eleven or twelve, and you know he he moved away from his parents to do that you know I think he was alone there in Spain for a, for a couple of years at such a young age so yeah he, he had to mature, mature in that sense off the field quite quickly 
Um, but what that move to Spain did was give him a real understanding, I think, of sort of a European style side of things as well. So he is that perfect blend in a way because you've got a lot of the great qualities you would want from an Argentinian player, but also combining it with some of the great elements of, of, of your typical European player. And that's, that's another reason why I think he is quite unique and, yeah. uh, and why you see quite a unique blend of stats, I would say, in his game is because that, he's, got, that is he's got those two kind mm. of channels funneling into making up the, the player he is. So, so what you're getting at is obviously kind of key passes and chances created, so the creative side. And then I remember the one about him winning possession in the opposition half of the pitch, which shows that tenacity that we were we were sort of going at before. Now, bringing up the topic of stats, obviously it would be remiss not to defer to the man on my left. Um, not behind me, just to my left. Um, yeah, just metaphorically. So, <laughs> uh, well, in, in terms of the race of life, mate, I don't know about that. <laughs> but, yeah, Steve, statistically, what did the stats bear out about Amy Buendy? Other than what Sir Adam's referencing there, like, what is it about him? I mean, I mean, how does he compare in terms of, like, percentiles and, and how much further ahead he is of, of output-wise of any other Norwich City player we've had. I should say, by the way, we're getting loads of questions in the chat um, and we will come to, to some of these sooner rather than later, but we will try to get to them all. But aye, Steve, what did the stats bear out um, in, in terms of how much further ahead of everyone he is? And should we be worried, by the way, about the kind of production that we're trying to replace? Jeez, uh, where do you start? I mean, yeah, there are a lot. Um, and yeah, if you're not interested in this kind of thing, then... Maybe now's a good time to make a cup of tea and, and come back. But he's, um, if you're yeah. not interested in stats, look away now. Yeah. <laughs> he's, I think, I think the, well, the, the assists for one thing is just completely out of this world. Like 40 assists in 121 games. Um, assists are harder to come by than goals, you might imagine, because a lot of goals don't have assists. So setting up, setting up a, a goal is rarer. And to get one in three is just so far ahead of any of his Norwich City contemporaries. Huckabee is, in terms of players who have, been at the club for a certain amount of time, the standard bearer. Um, and you know, Emmy's way, way ahead of, of so many great Norwich players in that count. But I think the other one, and I know we've kind of touched on this already, but um, I mean, chances created, he's been the best in the championship by a mile this year. But then also looking at last season, he was in the top five Premier League players for the number of tackles he attempted and the number of dribbles he completed, i.e. the number of times he took the ball past a player. Now, I had a look back at this and that just doesn't that does not happen. Players do not have that combination of they attempt tackles and they complete dribbles. In terms of being the leaders in the Premier League, I look back mm -hmm. over the last 10, 15 years and there's no one even comes close to being I think Wilfred Zaha is the only one I could find in the last sort of 10 years who had got more than 150 dribbles and more than 100 tackles in the same um, other way around, 150 wow. times. Wow, and a couple of scores, by the way. The fact that Wilfred Zaha is the name that that is attached to is one. And number yeah. two, the fact that that, that is so rare. I, I think we all kind of... I mean, what that does is this tells a different story. Like, about Emi Buendia, these stats. And, and you were referencing it as well, Adam. So it's like, loads of people are going to think of the guy that has scored these lovely goals, the touch against Swansea, I think it was, where he sort of backheeled it behind his head as if he was it's in the Royal Valley. Yeah, against oh, My bad. Right. All, all the games blend <laughs> one eventually. But I get no, that's why I get you guys here, because you know better than me. But the yeah, the game against Hilton, like, that touch, that touch will be my my memory, you know? But what I like about this is what we're basically hitting on here is Emmy was so much more than just that gifted technician that could split open a defense like in an instant, you know. Like there was there was so much more to his gift than that. But if there was a moment, so I've just told you mine, right? Um it's a moment that I remember that well that I can't even remember the opposition because there was just that locked in on, on Emmy doing it. But that I'll remember that touch, like that'll be my my memory of Emmy Buendia will be the first thing that I think of is that touch. What about you guys? Is there a first thing that you remember when you think of him as a player? 
I think I think for me it would probably be his goal um, away to Bristol City this season. Um, yeah, probably one of the goals I've watched most <laughs> in 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 the last uh, in the last year or so uh, mm-hmm. of his. Um, I especially enjoyed putting a video together comparing it to a goal Argentina scored in the last World Cup where Benega passed it to Messi against Nigeria for the opening goal in that game. And, yeah, the pass from Gibson. um, It was Gibson, wasn't it? Yeah, Gibson to to Emmy in that game. I'm rubbish at remembering, mate. We've just established that. Yeah, was very brilliant. similar, and the control from Buendia was so similar to what Messi did with that finish. Um, it was, I would say, Emmy's finish maybe slightly less emphatic because it sort of was sort of rolled it on the ground where Messi sort of blasted it in. So, from an optics point of view, the Messi one probably looks a little bit more stunning in that sense. But how yep. the ball hit the net, but yeah, overall, I think the same level of technique was involved, and uh, and there's basically why I love that goal so much and why I think it should have been easily like the EF, EFL goal of the season. I don't think it was even nominated, was it? Mm. It was like, because there was like loads of these like long range, 35, 40 yard strikes, which fair enough, but you know, w- nearly every player gets one of those in his career, even if they're mm. not particularly that technically brilliant. You know, only Emmy M- Buendia, I believe in the championship would have been able to score that goal away to Bristol City. That's key. And that Um, that is a key facet of him. Like, there was things that he did that separated him from, like, this level of of football. There were things that he did that made him a player that was just so much better than the level and on, like, a regular basis as well. So that kind of comes back to your point earlier, Steve, about how how have we kept a hold of him for Mm -hmm. so long. Um, Just in terms of your own favourite moment, Ollie, I've noticed, asked this question just before I did. promise I didn't steal it off you, Ollie. Uh, What's your your, your sort of abiding memory or moment of Emmy? What would be the first thing that you remember, Steve? Um, Do you know, I thought you might ask this question. So um, I've got, I had the whole scorpion kick. Um, I had the through ball that he played against Brentford this season in the home game. Pookie missed the chance when he yes, was I remember the ball though. insane but I think actually as sounds a bit lame to say but he's one of those who he's not really a kind he's not like a Vrancic who was about moments I just think yeah I think he was just somebody who could take hold of a game could could light up a game with a touch or a, a bit of skill and actually I think um one thing I really remember and I suppose to condense it into one game was the defeat that we had against Wolves in the Premier League um, when just before Christmas, when we were playing really well, um, and Emmy in particular was absolutely on fire at that stage. I was at that. I was back in England. You were, you were back game. In that game. So there yeah, we go. Brilliant. Adam will know and have and have his own memories of this one. That'll be why we lost. <laughs> <laughs> he played unbelievably well in that game, and somebody's definitely made a compilation video of all the all the great things he did in that game. I don't think I've ever seen a player play so well in a in a game of football and end up on on the losing side. Um, and I think if people uh, are not, like, if people are over it already, um, I would say seek out that video. Hopefully it's still around on YouTube or Twitter somewhere because um, that was just Emmy in a nutshell, taking the ball past players, winning the ball, outrageous bits of skill. Um, yeah. God, I'm just, I'm, I'm welling up just thinking about it. Mate, I, I know that he's been, oh, sorry, on you go, Adam. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, he was unbelievable in that game. Yeah, you know, I, I was back. I was back in England for that game and the one against Tottenham as well a week later. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just feel that that December especially was Norwich's key month in 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 the season. I think if they had turned some of those defeats and draws into wins, who knows? We might we might have even stayed up. But I think the fact that we just kept losing games like that, where we were by far the better team for an hour. And with summer, you know, it's just demoralising. But I do think one of the reasons we kept Emmy was the fact that how badly the season went mm. after that, really. Because yeah. I, I just think that all our players almost became um, sort of our attacking players. The fact that we didn't score in sort of those last 10 games either, or we scored like one in the last 10. Uh, they almost became sort of toxic, didn't they? I don't, I don't think people were looking at sort of the understats. They were just looking at, you know, the main 
yeah, Campwell, Buendia, Pookie, none of these are scoring. Nah, let, let's, uh, no, let's not play this game. I get that. Yeah, there's that. And also, mm-hmm. sorry, Stu. No, um, sorry. Because I forget things otherwise. And, and the only other thing I wanted to wanted to add was, um, like, if there's maybe one moment which sums the Emmy up completely um, in, a, in a goal was the goal he sort of set up against um, Sheffield Wednesday. So, mm-hmm. you, know that tackle, you know that tackle that, that he did, and then yeah. he laid off a brilliant pass. Um, yes. So that that is him, sort of in a nutshell, isn't it? You got the the tackle, the tenacity, those the tackles force. that yep. Steve yep, were, yep, yep. was speaking about earlier. Then sort of the composure and the and the technique to pick out the perfect pass after that as well. I think he even pushed uh, Gibson out the way. <laughs> it's mine. It's mine. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think. I think that would be another moment which really uh, sticks I, in my I think, head. I think that's a really good one because that kind of encapsulates both sides of them, which we've been alluding to here. And th- that's nice. And I hope people listening to this um, are, are sort of enjoying that fact that we're, we're kind of remembering Emmy for, for everything that he wanted. Like, I sound like he's died. He's obviously only going to Aston Villa for a club record fee. What about the return lads? Like, I mean, do you think... Now, the one thing that I've said in a couple of platforms where I've been asked about this is we've got to bear in mind that this is a post-COVID market. I also spoke to people who sort of work at the club, a few insiders, and they tell me that they're very happy with the return. So Norwich City are happy with the return and that there are high, in inverted commas, um, clauses built in to for, for that fee to, to increase. But... 33 million seems to be the kind of figure that, if you're looking at mean averages, and I'm looking to the man to my my, my left on the screen there, um, about that, he's a man that likes every type of average. I remember us having a discussion about averages at university, Steve. That's how exciting our uni life was when we were students. Bone average. But, aye, like, 33 mil, if if we're calling it that, obviously rising, but is that is that a good return? Like, I mean, obviously the club think it is. Do we? I would say, I would say, if you look at it in terms of does it reflect his value to Norwich City? No, I, I don't think that there's almost uh, incontrovertible. We would have liked more than that for him. However, transfer fees rarely work in just that way, um, and I think. I mean, I don't know the inner workings of the club. Um, my contacts, my Norwich City contacts don't stretch much further than this podcast. But I would imagine that there was some kind of pact at the end of last summer with Buendia to say, look, if you get us back up, you've you've done your bit and we'll let you move on. And I also, I also think that there's something to be said for getting the deal done early and getting the money in the bank. And actually... Would it have been worth kind of, I don't know, Manchester United style trying to wrangle another five million out and it taking all summer? And then, you know, we, we come to the beginning of the season, the deal is just done and then suddenly we have to replace him for, for the sake of, yeah, what, another five million or something? I don't think it would have been. So I, 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 can, I can see the point, but I think I've had time to reflect on it. And I think the other thing, of course, is that Norwich probably were hoping that Arsenal would say, yeah, we'll stump up the cash and start a bidding war. Arsenal just didn't have that money. So ultimately, it looked like it was Villa or nothing. And I think we'd made the commitment for him to go. It, they've got a hell of a deal, that's for sure. But yeah. I think now it almost doesn't help to dwell on it. You just you just kind of move on and, and hope there's success there. And 33 million becomes whatever it might be with all the add-ons. Yeah, Adam, how do you feel about that? And um, this is this is Adam in our podcast. Adam on the chat has said 33 million seems low in the face of it. Please feel free, everyone else, to get in touch exactly. with your reflections on the fee. But Adam Brandon, what's your take, man? Yeah, I, th- I agree with Steve. I think overall um, the fee for me was lower than I'd hoped. Um, but I had prepared myself for that kind of fee when I heard we- um, Stuart Webber's interview what was it like just after the season had finished no and you know if you listen carefully to that interview this shouldn't have come as like a massive shock because mm-hmm. you know he was driving home the point that the last thing that they want to do as a club is look like they're holding players back and mm-hmm. making not just the player who they're refusing to sell 
unhappy. But also the other players in the dressing room who are hoping for big moves in the future might start to get worried that the club aren't going to let them go for a fair price. And although 33 million doesn't sound like a fair price to us as fans who rate Gwendia as possibly the best player in the club's history and certainly our best player now, I think if you look at it from the player's perspective and the agent's perspective, Mm -hmm. they're going to be saying, look, you've never sold a player for more than 30 million in your in your history before um so why are you turning down this money for me no, um, you're quite right. and, and the only way the club could possibly counter that is by offering him a contract that would break pretty much every you know rule that the club has it has in place um yeah. and i'm not even sure that the player would go for that anyway because I think you know he's looking for a fresh challenge now. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, and yeah, and another point I actually wanted to make on this podcast is I know that some people will always be sort of disappointed at sort of players who they feel are under contract and they like push for a move and they it's like the lack of loyalty, you know, the disloyalty shown perhaps by a player, but. I think in 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 Buendia's case, you know, he did stick with us last season. Yeah, he he could have really played up and forced a move, and he didn't. And I always feel, certainly with players from South America, you know, they really don't owe these clubs that they play for in England or in Europe anything, really. Yeah, a lot of them have come over here, been forced to come over here, basically, mm-hmm. from a young age to achieve, you know, to maximise their dream, basically, to achieve their dream because of the economics now involved in football. It means that, you know, to maximise your career, you have to go to Europe, even though maybe, you know, you perhaps don't really want to, you know, deep down. Um, You're only doing it to further your career. So, like, if you hmm. ask Buendia who's his dream club to play for, he would probably say River Plate. He's a River Plate fan. So if if the money was equal everywhere, he would probably just be playing in Argentina for River Plate. Like the only reason Norwich have, you know, a club like Norwich can get these players over massive South American clubs these days is for the economics involved in football these days mean that everything is so centralised in Europe. So um, I think as football fans in Europe, we're quite lucky. Um, you're quite lucky in that respect. Um, to see sort of all these, you know, great South American players come over uh, and play there, and I think there should be sort I think of great so. appreciation. I think there's also, well, if we roll back right to the start, Norwich City bringing in Buendia from Getafe for what they got him for, like it's it's absolutely insane business. Like, I mean, if you look at the, the return on that, and then we're, we're quibbling over the fact that it's, it's 33 million, which is the club record fee that we're getting. And I think it's just, it's, it's yet again, the, the sort of sporting structure in place at the club has had another massive success with that transfer. And from every aspect, because what we've done is we've given that player a, a platform to, to sort of go on and improve himself. And at the start, uh, when Aston Villa was the club. Now, Aston Villa is a club that I've got a lot of respect for and, and anyone that's trying to say it's a bigger move, you would always you'd always point to the fact of... And do you know what came to me? was like Grealish on one side and Buendia on the other. They're going to be good next season. Anything less than top 10 is massively underperforming. I think they were 11th this season. So they, they should be looking to improve on that, definitely. And a lot of people were thinking, though, Aston Villa? Really? Because I think all of us that watch Norwich City week in, week out, know this is a player that's that's of Champions League standard if his career continues to progress. But part of me also thought, see, rather than going to Arsenal and maybe the manager not liking him and I'm fighting to get in the matchday squad, he's going to go to Villa and he's going to walk into their team despite the fact they've got some good players out wide. He's going to walk into their team and it's going to give him the platform to show what he can do at another slightly bigger club in England. And then by the time he reaches the age where he's looking for his like big move, so just as he's approaching his peak, um, which obviously for most footballers between sort of 27, 32, let's say, Emi Buendia 
has, I think, the perfect platform to go and really push his career on and, and maximise the the level that he can aspire to. So I think by taking another one step forward rather than vaulting three, like at one time, I think this is going to be a good move for him. But I don't know if that's just my perception or or whether other fans agree with me. So so what do you guys think? Do you think it's the right move from Steve or do you think he could have gone to a bigger club? Uh, I think he could have gone to a bigger club, but a bigger clubs weren't interested. I guess it's as simple as that. I'd, I'd certainly agree with you that I think Villa's a better move than Arsenal. Um, Arsenal f- feels like a, a fairly toxic club at the moment, one where if he had a few bad games, as let's be fair, he wasn't always top class for us. So, you know, if he had a few bad games, Arsenal, the fans would quite quickly get on his back. Don't know how he'd react to that. I think, like you say, Villa, um, they're going to throw him straight in. He's going to be without question, one of their a starter. They're not going to mess around. And, and I think they'll have a good season next year. They're clearly ambitious. They've got a lot of money to spend. So, uh, you know, I think if, if Buendia um, plays the football that we know he can, then Villa will not be the end for him. So, and he's only 24, I think. So a couple of years, he's still, he's still not even at his peak. So, I was sceptical about Villa at first, but um, ha- again, having thought about it, I can see the logic in it. Yeah, me too. And in terms of the perception of the transfer and sort of, and actually, let's 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 go bigger than that, Adam. In South America, what what's the like perception being his time at Norwich City? As the fact that we are not one of the Premier League elite, does does that mean people have been less interested or, or less aware? Of, of his journey and what's the perception of the move from 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 people in that part of the world yeah so i i would say that nobody here was particularly that aware of him until the start of the premier league season and right then they watched games say against liverpool chelsea manchester city and i think he got assists in all those games and you know and the commentators here i remember were really raving about him um, especially in the first half of that, that Premier Premier League season. And most of the commentators on the sports channels here are Argentinian. Um, so, yeah, they, they were loving him. Um, but, yeah, although a lot of championship games have been shown on ESPN over here in sort of the last three years, yeah, it was really that Premier League season that where, where he sort of got a bigger platform, obviously, to, to, to shine. Um, there were some calls from like very knowledgeable um, sort of South American journalists and analysts, I would say, based here to get him sort of a Argentinian, Argentina call up sooner than he did. But, mm-hmm. you know, the common man in the street probably wasn't shouting for it because ultimately, you know, he, he wasn't playing for a, a big European club and, and they mainly focus on the Argentinians at big European clubs and I don't know if you know but basically Argent yeah the, the exportation of Argentinian footballers is mm-hmm. absolutely remarkable you know they've got thousands across the world um so you know keeping tabs on 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 them on the sports channels take takes hours literally hours are spent sort of uh, looking at the Argentinian players based around the world so yeah it's um Yes, and it's an interesting one, but yeah, basically, you know, it's another reason why Buendia probably wanted to move on because he probably felt that he was going to get bigger exposure at a bigger club. And I think, I think it's telling that he didn't get a bigger move. And I can only put that down to him playing for Norwich, really. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and like somehow the, the big European clubs just don't trust the stats or something. But, so they must think that ah uh, he's doing that because everything sort of centers around him in the side maybe or or something like that. But yeah, it's 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 a, it's a strange one, and it'd be very interesting how he does deal with the step up because yeah. I know that some people have said it's a sideways move. For me, it's it's a definite step up to play for for a club like Villa. They are definitely bigger than us. 
I, I don't really see the argument there. Well, um, won the European Cup in the 80s, which wasn't that long ago in the great sort of sands yeah, of time. Still, aside, right? aside from the you know, recent spell in the Championship, they've also been sort of a, a mainstay, haven't Massive they, in, club. In the Premier, since, since the Premier League began. And I know they had some tough times in, in the 80s as well, but after they won that European Cup. But generally, you know, if you ask most people... They would say um, they would say Villa are clearly the bigger club, so there will be more pressure there. And Villa Park, when it's full, is one of the great grounds oh, in England, brilliant. unquestionably one of the mm-hmm. loudest as well. So yeah, I think he could really thrive in that environment. Um, and yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see. So in terms of Norwich City, right, and this is um, so. It was Tom Colton that gave me the idea to ask this. He was asking, do you think our self-sustainable model will ever bear fruit for a sustained stay in the Premier League or will we need more financial muscle? I, I want to just move on a wee bit from that that exact question, but keeping that in mind as well and maybe answering both guys. Um, and I'll come to you on this first, Steve. So my, my, my kind of thing is, if we had not sold Emmy Buendia, Right, and you pointed out quite rightly that we've done it early. Right, so mm-hmm. what that does is that essentially gives Stuart Weber and the the sports side Keenan Scott, the recruitment team, that gives them the chance to go out now and actually maybe make a bit of a splash, because we would have been dealing with fifteen to twenty million probably in the pot for transfers if it hadn't have been for this sale. Whereas that that's automatically doubled at least by getting rid of Amy. So this gives them the chance for the first time, really, to go and splash a bit of cash mm-hmm. uh, while sort of be, being the guys in charge of who we get in through the door at Norwich City. Do you think, from that perspective, that this was, regardless of all the production that we're losing and regardless of how revered Emmy is and all of the rest of it, is this a good move for Norwich City because it actually gives us the chance to improve the team in various areas now? And I'll, I'll also point out, when we lost Madison, we got better. When we lost Godfrey, we, the defence got better. You know, like we've we've improved at each stage that we've lost a kind of keystone player. So that that's what I'm thinking. Like, is this something that it was actually undoubtedly the right move tactically in terms of looking at the recruitment for the rest of the window? Um, I suppose there's arguments for the defence and the prosecution there. I mean, I think... Buendia, I think, is slightly different in, to those other players in that he, because he brings so much in so many different areas we've already covered, I do think he's virtually irreplaceable in terms of what he does. So you always need to change the way the team plays. Not only that, he has a brilliant relationship with Puki, he has a brilliant relationship with Aarons. So they're two key players who now have got to adapt to a new teammate, and I do think he gets the best out of players in that way. That said, and we've waxed lyrical about him for 45 minutes, we did go down when he was with us two years ago. And I think Tom's question is a really good one because this is the key season now for the for the model and for the for the that question. Can we be a, a stable Premier League club with this model? Well this this year will, will basically tell us the answer to that. Personally I'm of the belief that we couldn't possibly <laughs> I, I don't think we could have done any better given the money we've spent and the resources we have than what we have done. Um, and like you say, now it's exciting because we have got money to spend. And and now this is where Weber really, Stuart Weber really does earn his money because this is, in terms of recruitment, we've never had anything like this before. We've never had this kind of money. Um, and, I, you know... It puts us in the it puts us in the unusual position of having cash to spend, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. And other you know, as we said, other areas of the team can now be improved. So, it this summer is is massive for us because we're not going to get away with recruiting like we did two years ago. It has to be right this time. Yeah. What's your reflections, Adam? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything Steve has said there. Um, and, oh no! Yeah. Please disagree. We're not getting on on that screwy. Yeah, it's. Um, I think the exciting thing for me would be a scenario where we stay up now, because what a statement that would be after selling Emmy Buendia if, if we get the recruitment right and and we stay up, then the confidence that will flow through the club from doing that will be absolutely you know 
momentous. So, yeah, I just uh, I just feel that, yeah, we do need to see what the squad looks like come August. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm holding back from judging from it now. I personally felt through a lot of last season, even if we kept Buendia, I still struggled to see us staying up in the Premier League. If I'm, and I'm usually the really optimistic one when we go up. But mm. I think that I think that last half of the season, the second half of the season, last time we were in the Premier League, has scarred me so badly in terms <laughs> of how I view the gap between us and the, and the others in the Premier League. Um, but I'm just being extra cautious um, about making any sort of uh, wild predictions about staying up or, the, the, or anything are, like that. So. There are a few aspects to that. Like the fact that we have been pretty much like far and away on, on, on both occasions, the best team in the championship, if we go up again and totally flame out and, and fall back through the trap door again uh, without, without putting up much of a fight, then there are severe questions from a holistic perspective about the viability of the English football pyramid as a whole um, I, moving forward. Yeah, I also I also agree with Steve's point about Emmy Buendia being sort of irreplaceable because I don't think you could find anybody in world football who could come into the side and play that role, you know, exactly like he did. It's, mm -hmm. It just won't happen. Um, but I think it's fun that we've got the money now um, to potentially sort of seek out uh, a, a decent replacement. I see that we've been linked with an Argentinian I really like, still based over here in in, Argen in, um, in South America for Argentinian side, Lanús. I think someone ah, asked... Pedro, Pedro de la Vega. Yeah. yeah. Also known as Pepo, Pepo de la Vega. Um, and so, yeah, t t tell us about him and how viable yeah. that argument you think that is. Well, it's definitely a viable transfer because I think any player who's playing for a club the size of Lanús in Argentina is going to be interested in a move to the Premier League. And, they, and the other great thing is that Buendia got in that Argentina squad whilst he was still a Norwich player. So now, you know, you can always sell that to a South American player now, uh, aren't you? But, you know, oh, look, look at this player. He was nowhere three years ago and now he's getting called up and photographed with Messi in training. That could be you. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I, th I think I think we sold him, you know, two weeks later than, than, uh, than perhaps it would have been even worse if we had sold him before he had got that first Argentina call-up. So, um, so that's good from that perspective. As for uh, Pedro de la Vega, yeah, he's a player who first caught my eye when I covered um, the under-20 South American Championships here in Chile back in 2019. Um, I was lucky enough to go to over half the games in, the, in that tournament. Wow. And there was like three or four games being played a day, all in the same stadium, like one after another. So I got to basically sit in the sun and watch six hours of football each day. Perfect. Nice and see sort of the up-and-coming South American stars of the future. And after that tournament, he was in my, sort of my top three players who really caught my so, eye. Right. Obviously, we, we we will caveat this by saying, um, I mean, these are these are just rumours at the moment. We've not we've not we've not seen anything more concrete than that. But what what kind of player is he? Um, yeah. So he's a he's a winger primarily, um, but very much in the Daniel Farker mould of wingers. So, okay. you know, he's, he's not going to get to the byline and, and whip crosses in, you know, chalk on boots type winger. He's, <laughs> he's very much, um, yeah, he's very much in sort of the mould of, of Campwell and Buendia, although he doesn't have the exact same attributes as either of those do. I think if I was to compare him to either of those, it, he's probably a bit closer to Campwell than, than Buendia. And that's not just because he has sort of floppy um, blonde hair <laughs> either. Um, is he a lefty um, or a righty? Yeah, so he's he's pretty two-footed, really. I think pre predominantly right-footed. So, Does he play off one side or the other? No, well, he plays both sides. But, right. but yeah, I think probably the majority of his minutes so far in his career have been on the left and him cutting in. Actually, on his debut, he cut in from the left 
and hit this shot from about 30 yards into the top corner. Um, and this was as, uh, I think he was 17 at the time. And, uh, and there was this video which went viral the next day of him walking into school the next day. And he got a stand innovation from his classmates. Yeah, that was nice. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a player I picked out in that tournament. Um, not just for his dribbling and his passing, which were very good. Although he doesn't pass like, say, Buendia does. He, he hasn't got those at this point in time. I think there's potential there to develop him to that kind of player, which is why I would be excited about him working with um, Barker, especially. Um, yeah, but he's, he's not going to be like Emmy putting 10 through balls into Pookie every game. Mm-hmm. Um so that's why I say sort of maybe he, there's more of a comparison there to the kind of moves that Campwell does from out wide. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a bit more of a dribbler, I'd say, than either of those two are. So he's quite exciting in that sense. Um, and one of the other things which really stood out about him was his intelligence. Like he, I saw him in one game where he was asked by the manager, and you could hear the manager basically shouting instructions because I was, I, was, I was right behind the benches. And like he, he was asked to sort of play about three different roles within about 30 minutes of a game, um, which I found like really interesting. And he just comfortably you know, slotted into those positions, no problem, um, and, and, and looked comfortable, you know, so inside as well as outside. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah he's one I'd be really excited about if, if, if we got him. Uh, well, I think that versatility is obviously going to be an important thing for, for whoever yeah. we get in. Um, a few people are asking as well, Adam, and I'm aware that you need to go in four minutes. Um, but, sorry, if you want to finish your point, you can do. Yeah, but also, just, if you can move on to talk about any other sort of players that might be a, a reasonable target for us. Yeah, so just one more thing about the De La Vega rumour. Um, like, for me, there's no issue. Um, oh, sorry, I'll start that again. Um Basically, there's no doubt that the Norwich scouting team are aware of him because I know that they were in the same stadiums as me watching De La Vega in those South American championships a couple of years ago because um, I met up with Mariella, who's... Um, who's uh, Mariella Nisotaki, yeah, yeah, she's one of the scouts. So, who's one of the scouts for, for Norwich. Um, and her knowledge of South American players in general is second to none. Um, I could pretty much, yeah, every player I reeled off to her, she could tell me something about something about him. So, yeah, they would have they would have been tracking him. I'm pretty sure these these years. But whether there's real interest there, I have no idea. But there's no doubt that our scouts would be aware aware of him. Whether that's transferred into any concrete interest, I have no idea. Um, so, yeah, and. Just to my last point before I go, because I do need to go in like one minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Alan Velasco at Independiente in Argentina yes. would be another one I'd be I'd be really keen on. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd say possibly that's it for now. There's a there's a player in Ecuador called Pedro Viti who plays for Independiente de Valle. Um, how's that? How's that spelt? Because I think it's good to like for B- people if they want to go and Google B- these, these players. But he's V-I-T-E, a, he's, yeah. and then Velasco's is just like any Velasco. Yeah. There's been a few of yeah. them. Um, so, yeah, but he's a he's a he's a bit raw, VT. So, yeah, I, I can't see us going for a play like that at this stage. Um, anyway, Brighton have all the links with Independiente de Valle, unfortunately. So, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. I, I would say, you know, if I could pick two players to sort of come in and potentially be a Buendia of the future, it would be De La Vega or Velasco. So that's why I'm really excited today about the De La Vega rumour. And yeah, sorry guys, but I do need to... Don't, don't worry about Adam. Do Listen, it's, it's, it's cracking to have you join us. Um, yeah. Steve, I'm sure you want to say Cheerio as well. So I'll give you that. Yeah, it's, what's that? it's an amazing insight there. I, I mean, I don't know Adam's not on the scouting team himself. Seems to seems to know the South American football at the back of his hands. So. <laughs> No, it's brilliant. Like I think Adam, if you're um, if you're quite happy not to not to put you in a put you in a box or anything like that, mate. Um, 
I, I mean, you, you can be our own Tim Vickery on this podcast. We'll get you and, and defer to you in all, all matters, South America. And, and to be honest, global football now. Just before you pop off, if people want to find you, I have put my banner across the bottom already. But um, so, so we've got some info there. But for anyone that's listening to this podcast on audio format, where can they find you and where can they engage with your stuff? Yeah, so you can uh, follow a lot of my South American football stuff on the World Football Index. Um, I'm a regular on a show on there called the South American Football Show. Um, and yeah, and we do sort of scouting spotlights on that where we look at the best up and coming players in South America as well as like reviewing the World Cup qualifying series, which you know is currently going on here in South America. Got Copper America coming up and all that. And you can also catch me um, on my Substack, which is um, basically me Pichanga. reviewing Chilean, Chilean football each week. Yeah, Pachanga, which is the. Yeah. Yeah, which is the name of the site, which basically means a five-a-side game in Chilean yeah. Spanish. So yeah, um, so yeah, there's that. So yeah, thanks, guys. Muy bien. Sorry, I have to rush. No, no, no. Muchísimas hour, gracias, but, yeah. mi amigo. Yeah. Espero que viene gracias. esta vuelta muy pronto, eh? <laughs> Chao. Right, ciao. Bye. See you later, Adam. So we're down to two, Steve. Um, and we still have some questions to get through. So you're happy to stay for another sort of 10, 15 minutes, and we'll, we'll quickly go. Through through them. I can do that. How's my sound? Yeah, your sound's all right. We've we've had like that. So if anyone's hearing a wee bit of echo, it's because Steve has uh, very sensibly forgotten his headphones tonight. I mean, what, I what was wear. that about, Steve? Well, all I'm going to say is I never wear headphones, and there's never been a problem before. So I'm, well, maybe I'm just honest, picky. I will. I'll take the blame on this one, but I think uh, I think the Hodge on Nodge platform has a lot a lot to draw. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's it, mate. You're banned. You're never getting back on. I so, can just be asked now. Adam's gone. Like, uh, no, I'll, that, I'll that's it. Right. Him, so but, we, so. we need to give people a full disclosure because they're going to be like, my goodness, these two are very comfortable with each other. Um, so a quick one on Alan Velasco, right? Me and Steve, by the way, we we are we are committed to a deadline as well. In 15 minutes, we are joining a football manager network game that we have had going for a year in lockdown that is now entering its 11th season, <laughs> uh, which is 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 testament to just like how oh, interesting we are and the social lives that we lead steve <laughs> but me and stevie are have been best like mates uh that we live together at university we've known each other for a decade now which uh, by the way that shocked me when when mm. i thought about it right. that's a decade since you i walked in sorry you walked in and i praised the strength of your handshake i think you just looked at me and were quite surprised that my hand didn't crumble as you was. um yeah crazy tenure and that's i suppose kind of where the love of norwich came from in part as well i know obviously you then came definitely that's you know it was the it was the first Premier League season under Lambert, wasn't it? Well, the only Premier League season under Lambert when we met. So, um, yeah. So as well, like that that house that you're in now, which like there's a brilliant hue coming from your window, uh, just in the background there. I, I used to live there, so we have we have lived together on various occasions. Anytime that I go to Carrow Road, usually I'll be staying at your bit because you're the sad poor person that gets lumbered with. with <laughs> We're putting me up for things. Nice. Um, that's got your name on it, basically. So yeah, and what, your what, on it anyway. <laughs> what, <laughs> what a robust couch that is. That's that, that's what we we'll say there. Um, there's obviously other things have happened this week at the football club. Uh, a few people talking about it in the chat, so I just want to basically touch on it. Do you have any reflections on? The beak, and we will come to the the Angus Gun question. By the way, um, I've I've got that kind of earmark to come to. Um, so if anyone else has any other sort of quick questions, get them in now because we're probably only going to go for about another ten minutes or so. But BK, Steve, you're a Norwich fan. What's your take? Uh, I've already waxed lyrical about this both on the Behind Enemy Lines podcast that you can listen to in audio format if you want to download it, or go on Benjamin Bloom's football channel. And I was also on a Norwich talk stream where I salved my conscience in the day that all of this broke. Um, and, and to be honest, I got a bit more emotional than I was expecting to, because for me, it's like a question about the, the identity of the football club and, and what we're all about. What's your take on it, though? Uh, well, I mean, you said it really. It's about the identity of the football club. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a little bit like, um, you know, when you talk about the, the club's model um, and selling players like Emmy Buendia, and you can't prescribe yourself to be this self-funded club. And then when it comes to selling players, go, well, we're not going to do that. The same by the same token, I don't think you can say we're a we're a family club, which you know I I believe Norwich City are and have been, um, 
and then get embroiled in a scandal like this. I mean, I don't think I'm not crazy about us having Leo Vegas and Daffabet as sponsors, really. I, I, I don't like the fact that football is propped up by the betting industry and I would prefer that we didn't take their money for, for that. Um, but this is kind of a step further, really. And, as you know, uh, <laughs> this, I'm, I'm not best placed to talk about the scandal, but quite frankly, it, 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 it's not it, it's not acceptable in 2021. It wouldn't be acceptable in my eyes 20, 30 years ago. Um, and also they look like such a, I don't know, I guess be careful what I say, but like... No, don't be too careful, mate, because... They look like a tin pot outfit yeah. and, you know, so I, I don't know how it came about um, and it's been a massive, massive misstep for the club. I can't ever remember the club having a, a sort of a Ferrari like this before. It's just disappointing, really, because you, you just expect better from Norwich City. Yeah, and I think the key thing for me is, see even with... The and, and by the way, I just put up some topics, uh, some some uh, bits of comment. <laughs> Can't get my words right. And um, some comments from the chat there, uh, just about people. And the consensus seems to be that a lot of people will be boycotting the shop. So the, the club are already going to be losing money on on yeah. in, in terms of the revenue that they're going to be be raking in from this. But yeah, I, I think you touch upon a really good point, mate. And I don't I don't want to labour this too much, but my, my key thing on it is. Even after the memberships thing and all of the different things where that, I mean, these weren't easy humps to get over between fans and football club, but there was always a dialogue. It always felt two way. And I get that the club, that by the way, they deserve the chance to fix this, but they need to fix it. Mm -hmm. They need to address it. So I'm, I'm eager to see what they do to moving forward to do that. But so much work has gone in to building. Norwich City into a club where it feels like the fans are as much part of it as everyone at the club. Mm. And when the European Super League and all that stuff was happening, I was like so proud, so proud that I was a Norwich City fan. And it was like, our club's better than yours, Liverpool. Our club's better than yours, Man United. Like, we are better. We are better than you. Like, because we actually have a club, we have a soul, we have an identity. We're at the stage where this would precipitate um, a, a, an entire identity crisis for Norwich City if they just choose to go ahead with this because all of that work that's gone into building that sort of two-way street would be undone. And Adam makes a makes a good point. It's disrespect to women. That's a kicker here. Um, after the amazing season NCFC women have had, must feel like smack in the face, can't see them want to wear the shirt with BK well, on it. This is exactly what I was going to say. You know, what what self what self-respecting fan anyway, but what self-respecting female fan is going to wear that shirt? And, you know, this is why I'm saying I'm not best placed to, to speak on, on this because, you know, but but I can see that it's, clearly I can see that it's wrong. And, and it, you know, it, the disrespect to women is absolutely the key point. And quite honestly, well, I think it it's the case of the club not doing their due diligence in the first instance. But, you know, now they've got a big, big, big decision to make. Do they take the financial hit and, and do, I suppose, what we would say is the right thing? Or do they kind of dig their heels in? And that's that's the decision that the club has to make. Anyone can make a mistake. It's, it's mm -hmm. where you go from there. No, you're absolutely right. I'm um, going to move on just to, to talk about, finally, um, and I will probably finish on a on an Amy-based point, which one I'm, I'm not sure yet. But um, obviously things emerging today. Dean's asking the question, evening guys, thoughts on Angus Gunn's possible return? It seems to be that that's one that, that's got a bit of mileage in it in, in terms of Norwich City are interested and that the interest is concrete and that the, the prospect of it may be happening is, is possible. Do we want to be wasting five million of our budget on someone who's probably going to be a backup goalkeeper? Good question. I mean, that, that was my sort of initial reaction as well. Uh, well, actually, no, my initial reaction, to be fair, was, oh, that's good. You know, nice to have Angus back. Um, mm -hmm. But I think being realistic, Krull is the undisputed number one. Um, and I would have said still has a couple of years at least left in him. Absolutely. Like, so I don't quite know what the thought is here. Um, maybe they're looking back to two years ago and even last season when, to be fair, Krull missed a bit of time with injury and they're thinking, you know, it's good to have McGovern around, but I'm not sure we would want him in. Mm. If in that eventuality, you would want Angus there. Um, but, you know, I, I think it would be great to have him back. 
Um, and I think long term, the future's great for our keepers. I mean, that's the other point I was going to make is that the future's great for our keepers anyway. I mean, Barden yeah, exactly. Does that does that not? So one of the big things about us is we have now sometimes it's happened a bit earlier than, than probably people would have wanted due to injuries or whatever reason. But we have a proper funnel now from the youth academy to the first team. Do we really, particularly with goalkeeper, where you can only play one of them? Do we really want to be like gumming up that pipeline for for the likes of your Dan Bard and your Archie Muirs and stuff? Like, do we want to be putting people in the way as roadblocks to to their potential progression? Um, well, no, but then a good goalkeeper is a good goalkeeper. There are no guarantees that Barden and Mayer are going to turn into the kind of the level of goalkeeper that we would want. Um, we know what Gunn can do. He was excellent here for his when he had his year, and I think we would have all agreed at that time get him back in again. Um, I don't know how much Southampton spent, but I have a feeling it was in the region of about fifteen million. So the fact that we're now getting him for a third of that with add-ons, as I understand it, although correct me if I'm wrong, Stu. That would reflect good business. Is it a priority? No, but then we're going to get other players in this summer. So, I mean, I think I still believe in the process. I still believe that we're in the right hands. So I kind of, it's a bit of a cop out, but if Stuart Webber thinks it's the right thing to do, it's probably the right thing to do. <laughs> I've told the party line. Well, that's all right. You you called us tin pot five minutes ago. So like, um, <laughs> no, 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 I, can I? I called BK eight tin pot. I didn't call Norwich oh, City tin pot. No. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I think the lack of due diligence. You could. I mean, yeah. Things fly around. Some stick. Um, no, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, I think that's. I've not really got much more to ask. If anyone else has got any final questions, get them in in the chat. Uh, but I want to finish by talking about Amy Buendia. And I know, obviously, you're a good mate of mine, mate. I know how this will have hurt you. Like, <laughs> because it's not often that you, you... One of the things that I've always liked about talking football with you, Steve, is you'll know someone that gets caught in the 